Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. All right, all right, all right. So, uh, yes, it's true. I turned 41 on Friday. Um, I was in the office seeing patients, and uh, this older black lady, I walked in. She looked at me. She said, wow, you young. I said, so? She said, how old are you? I said, ain't none of your business. She said, boy, you can't talk to me like that. Somebody ought to whoop you for that. I said, you're going to have to catch me first. All right. Enough about me. I still remember it well. It was the Christmas of 1992. Uh, My family had just moved into a new house in Katy, Texas. You could still smell the fresh paint. And my parents had this really neat uh, walk-in closet. And so I was exploring the closet, and I stumbled across Christmas presents. That's right. A treasure trove. Boxes and bags stacked as high as you could see hidden behind my mom's dresses. I knew I was on to something I shouldn't be, but I couldn't resist. I kept going back when my parents weren't around to try to figure out what's in there. I'm peeking, I'm peeking, and I'm looking because this was the year that I had asked for the Lego M-Tron Secret Space Voyager. That's right, people. That's right. Mail order only. Couldn't buy it in the stores. I had dreams about this great Lego set and how it would revolutionize play in my home. But I couldn't find it. Day after day, looking for it, it wasn't there. I remember Christmas Eve going to bed nearly despondent. Will it be under the tree or will it not? I snuck out in the middle of the night to look and spy on my parents, hoping to catch a glimpse of this box. Well, I eventually collapsed in exhaustion. No present in sight. But ah, to my great joy and elation on Christmas morning, there it was. The only thing that mattered. Age 12, people, let me tell you. You learn a lot from someone when you find out what they long for, what they anticipate, when you see what they'll do to get it, how long they'll wait for it. You learn a little bit about me. I still have that Lego set. It's in my house. My kids play with it. I learned a lot from my kids this season as they kept coming with new catalogs, pointing out everything that they wanted. Especially learned about the things that they really wanted because each day, each week it would change, but there were always one or two things that they still wanted, they were still longing for. And we're going to learn a lot about Anna and Simeon today. So the scripture tells us that they were waiting for something, longing for it, anticipating it. That in fact, that they had reoriented their entire lives around this great hope. What we learn about them all begins with their anticipation. Verse 25 tells us, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. What is the consolation of Israel? Well, In short, it refers to deliverance for God's covenant people. You see, at the time of Jesus' birth, the Israelite people were subjugated people. They were under the rule of the Roman Empire. 
Roman soldiers occupied their streets. They didn't elect their own officials. Roman magistrates and governors made their decisions about their lives. Never hear of the phrase taxation without representation? Well, maybe you understand a little bit about the Jewish experience. In the first century, now, this was nothing new for the Jewish people. Ever since their exile to Babylon, six or 700 years before uh, the nation of Israel was split in two and the two nations were uh, exiled at different times, but at least 600 years, they had been under the rule of someone else. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Seleucids, the Greeks, and now the Romans. Ever since that time, they had received promises from God's messengers, God's prophets, about a coming king, about God's plan and promise to restore the nation, to restore their freedom and restore their stature in the world. A king would ascend to the throne of his father, David. The throne of his father, David. These are the same words that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. The angel Gabriel brings a message to Mary, hearkening back to this promise that every Jew would have known. In fact, we see it in Isaiah. Isaiah had a prophetic ministry during the exile. In Isaiah chapter 9, he reads this, he wrote this, and you'll recognize these Verses, if you've been around the church long enough, especially at the Christmas season. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So like the Israelites who were in Egyptian slavery, or like Daniel who was in Babylonian captivity, the faithful first century Jew would have been eagerly longing for God's next big move, waiting for the consolation of Israel. This posture of waiting on the Lord would have been a massive part of Jewish identity and consciousness at that time. And in today's text, Luke, the author of this particular account of Jesus' life, you know, he is showing us or introducing us to two individuals deeply shaped by this waiting, this longing, this anticipation, Simeon and Anna. Now, Simeon, he is described as righteous and devout. Anna is noted to be one who worships with fasting and prayer uh, day and night. So both are people of uh, a righteous life. But both are also people of great spiritual insight and gravitas, weightiness. We see that Simeon has the Holy Spirit upon him. And Anna is noted to be a prophetess. These depictions, these designations were incredibly rare at this time. You know, the Old Testament record shows us the activity of the Holy Spirit, but it seems to be few and far between, not available to every believer like we see it in the New Testament. No, the Holy Spirit would come upon some person for a designated time to perform a particular work, maybe speak a word of prophecy or to perform a miracle, and then, as far as we can tell, that would end. And prophets, well, let's see. Most prophets in the Old Testament are men. There were only five women who are described as prophetesses or who 
act in a prophetic ministry before Anna. And Anna is the first of the New Testament. So this is quite remarkable. Now let's look at this scenario, this scene that Luke describes for us. It's a lovely Sabbath morning. You are taking your bouncing baby boy up to the temple for your first century baby dedication. The law recommended a sacrifice to commemorate this moment. And most Jews would have brought a male lamb, one year old, without a blemish or a spot, a fairly valuable piece of livestock. But what do Mary and Joseph have? Do they have the lamb in tow? Are they planning for a big celebration and a meal with friends and family, their community gathered around them? Are they going to say, hey, let's go down to Levi's barbecue and have some lamb chops? Well, no, that's not the picture we see. No, instead, they've brought with them two turtle doves. You know, I always wondered, what do people do with all those crazy gifts from the 12 days of Christmas? I never expected that they would sacrifice them. But ah, the law of Moses actually has a provision for this. It says that if you're a cash-strapped family and you can't afford the male lamb, well, you can substitute with two birds, two turtle doves, or two pigeons. And so we see that Mary and Joseph fit that description. They can't afford a male lamb. I mean, come on, Mary couldn't even afford or find a place to have her baby. So they've come to the temple with their humble sacrifice. No fanfare, no flashy celebration, no family members in tow. You know, you would have expected in the first century, like, we're having a baby boy. Like, this is our firstborn son. This is a big deal. Now think about in the old days when, you know, the fathers weren't allowed in the delivery room, but they would be in the waiting room with cigars, passing them around to everyone, excited, a baby boy, a baby boy. That's not the scene that Luke paints for us. It seems quite somber, actually. This forgettable, poor, impoverished family with no real sacrifice to bring, no friends or family to celebrate with. Could it be that the shame of a child conceived outside of marriage left them ostracized from their community, maybe abandoned by their family? But they're faithful, so they're fulfilling the law of Moses. Now, Mary and Joseph, they approach the priest. They say, hey, you know, we need our spiritual right of sacrifice here. And a strange man walks up to them. They've apparently never met him. They've never seen him before. He reaches into the bassinet and pulls out the baby, lifts him in the air and starts muttering this gibberish about, now I fulfilled my bucket list and I can die. And here's, you know, salvation for pagans and, you know, glory for Jews. And, you know, oh, you, Mary, you're going to suffer. I'm not sure this is the guy I let pick up my baby. Uh, you know, lift him in the air and say all these things. But, you know, I think that as we dig into this a bit, we're going to really get a sense of what God is doing here. So let's talk a little bit about this ritual, this redeeming the firstborn. I mean, what is this really all about? Well, you know, the great thing is that Moses, being the smart guy he is, anticipated that we'd ask this question. In Exodus 13... He explains it to us like this, and we should have that scripture here. This is the establishment of the practice. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? Thank you, Moses. What does this mean? You will say to him, 
By a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Now that's a heavy statement. And I don't have time to unpack the whole story of God freeing Israelites from Egypt, let alone to explain why this terrible and tragic judgment fell on the Egyptian people. But suffice to say this, this ritual is more than a simple baby dedication. This isn't just mom and dad bringing the baby to the temple to show him to their friends so Junior can be seen in his Sunday best and people can take pictures. No. This ritual would have been practiced by every Jewish parent through the ages to remind them that they had been slaves and that the price of redeeming the nation out of slavery to to redeem, to, to buy back, to infuse value back into something that had been marred or destroyed was the cost of the firstborn. The life of the firstborn of Egypt for the life of the nation of Israel. In light of the Roman occupation of their day, once again, Mary and Joseph, as well as Simeon and Anna, they would have been encouraged through this ritual through this exchange, these two birds for this baby boy, to remember God's past act of deliverance and to look forward to his future promised king. The king that would restore David's throne, that would comfort or console every oppressed Jew, the consolation of Israel. So there you go, the consolation of Israel. Now, when we look at Simeon and Anna, the first thing that I noticed about them is that they're both old. Simeon says, now, Lord, you will let your servant depart in peace. Apparently, the audiovisual is old, too. <laughs> he says, I'm at the end of my life, and I've been waiting for this moment. You, Lord, promised me that I would see your Savior, that I would see your deliverance. And now I can depart in peace. Anna, well, Luke's fairly plain. She's 84 years old. You know, it's really impressive that she could have made it to 84. If you know anything about the first century and about Jewish culture and Jewish society, I mean, a widow often was left without means, means of production, means of work. Uh, women didn't have the right to own their own land. Anna had been married for only about seven years. Doesn't state that she has any children. Yet she stayed faithful to the Lord. It's possible that she spent all of her time at the temple because she was dependent on the alms and the services of the temple to sustain her livelihood. But despite their physical age and their social status, both of these people admirably model youthful spiritual vigor and zeal. Simeon burst into the temple driven by the Holy Spirit on a divine mission to see and to touch the Savior. Anna, I think of Anna, I picture Anna kind of like Yoda. Did you guys ever uh, watch episode three, Star Wars? 
Yoda is this guy, you know, he's the Jedi master. He's got this walking stick. He kind of moves around real slow. Ah, but when it's time to fight Palpatine, whoo, dr- walking stick drops, savior, uh, lightsaber comes out. He's like infused with vigor. He's jumping around. He's fast. He's bouncing off the walls. That's how I see Anna. Anna has been waiting all these years for God's great work of redemption in the world. And she comes in with her walking stick and she sees the baby Jesus and she drops the stick and she's running to and fro. Every person who would listen to her, every person waiting for the consolation of Israel, it's come, come and see him, come and see what the Lord has done. Glory to Israel. People worried she's going to fall down and break a hip. (laughs) In these two seasoned saints, I believe that Luke is showing us what a life well-lived looks like. At the culmination of their lives, at their, say, denouement, at the end, we see God moving. And they are able to see it because they have fixed their eyes and practiced looking for God, looking for his work. They've set their hope on this moment. You know, Paul, when he describes the gospel. He says that the gospel is the wisdom of God hidden for ages, now revealed. That angels long to see how would God do it? How would he save this creation? How would he bring back these people? And now he was showing it and God let Simeon and Anna in on the secret. Man, to see the Savior, to touch him. What an honor. Now, it would be easy for us to look at this text and say, oh, you know, Simeon, I mean, he's righteous and he's got the Holy Spirit and Anna, she's a prophetess. Like, I couldn't be like them. But I actually think that's the wrong way to look at these two people. They don't have superpowers. They don't have, you know, uh, position and, and, and status and wealth. You know, I don't think they've done anything exceptional to get to this place. I think what they've done, I think they've lived deliberate lives of faithfulness setting their hope on God and on his promise day in and day out. I mean, what is Simeon? He's righteous, yes, okay. But what does it take to be righteous? God says, love justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. He says, you know, Anna, Anna is daily practicing worship and prayer and fasting. Any person, in fact, every person in this room can do those things. Every person in this room, the great promise of our faith is that you can be a Simeon and that you can be an Anna. But centering their lives around this confidence that God would fulfill his promise, his promise of a future redemption, by consistently doing ordinary looking things that often felt mundane, I'm sure, Simeon and Anna practiced faithfulness and set themselves up to be able to recognize the move of God in their life. Will you be ready when God moves in your life to recognize that this forgettable family with no wealth, no prestige, this baby, the scripture says we esteemed him not. There was nothing about Jesus that made him look different, but those who were longing for God recognized him when he came. Now, this scene should be a great encouragement to all kinds of people. All right, are you getting older and wondering, is there, is there still a place for me in God's plan or God's mission? 
Are you widowed or divorced or single? Do you feel like a relational afterthought in your community? God sees you like he saw Anna. Are you feeling anxiety or or maybe embarrassment about your financial status? Ah, you can take heart. God has a plan for you. You see, not only has he faithfully fulfilled his promise to bring salvation through his chosen one, Jesus, not only has he offered that salvation to you, but he has invited you in to have a critical role in the work and his mission of extending this gospel, just like Simeon and Anna. That's why we say here at Jubilee Church that we want to help every person to know God, to find family, to discover their purpose and to make a difference. Why? Because God is doing the same. Let me show you. It's no secret, well, it might be a secret now, but not a secret to many of us who've been here a long time. We've traditionally been a very young church. All right? You might look around now and say, oh, but I see people of all ages all here today worshiping together. That's great. You know, we had to pray for that. (laughs) If you're between the ages of, say, 40 and 65, we prayed for you because 12 years ago, we didn't have a lot of y'all around. But we knew that God wanted to show something, do something in our community and that that your presence has value. You know, I would say um, it used to be sort of like, uh, if you ever watch these Nat Geo uh, safari type shows, right? You see this guy, he's like wandering around, whispering real soft. <clears throat> We're here on the lookout for the, uh, the middle-aged believer. Uh, <laughs> they're fairly rare in this habitat. Uh, the, the, the loud music and the clapping tends to keep them away. But we know that their migratory patterns will bring them here eventually. I mean, <clears throat> ah, but bring you, he has. And we're so thankful for that. It's no coincidence that our two characters here are older persons. Now, contrary to popular opinion, I would say there ain't no shame in your gray haired game. <laughs> Proverbs 16 31 says what? It says, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. And so what should have been for Mary and Joseph a joyful and celebratory moment, the presence of grandfather and grandmother to the patriarchs and matriarchs of faith in their lives, speaking a blessing over them. Well, that was conspicuously absent. But what did God do? He helped them find family. Simeon steps into this role, a righteous and devout man full of the Holy Spirit, who recognizes the moment, reaches in and picks up the baby and presents him to the world and pronounces a blessing over him, a prophetic statement about his future work in God's plan. Let me tell you, we need people who can do that. We need you to be a Simeon to speak prophetically and to proclaim God's work, to to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother to someone who lacks it, just like Mary and Joseph needed it. You know, I had a conversation with my mother as I was preparing this message. And among other things, you know, we discussed uh, her sense of growing sense of disorientation in the world. 
You know, my mother uh, is in her late 60s. She lives, lived through a lot. She integrated her high school. She has seen the uh, sexual revolution and uh, witnessed the rise of multiple sort of, you know, drug abuse epidemics in our nation, globalization, war on terror, uh, you know, personal computers and, you know, the smartphone era, financial downturns and all this sort of stuff, the rapid unraveling of America's moral center, uh, she feels a little put off. But as we were discussing this, you know, I, I assured her that, you know, mom, the gospel has not been derailed. The gospel is still at work. And there is still a place for you in God's family and in God's mission. And I would say the same to anyone who is here, especially those of you over the age of 50. You know, see, Simeon and Anna's story reminds us that the church needs seasoned saints, we don't need more flashy displays of charismatic pastors and multi-million dollar megachurch campuses. What we need are men and women, people of integrity who are grinding it out every day, doing the mundane things that show us what an honest, a humble, and a faithful life before God looks like. People who are attuned to the spirit and sensitive when he speaks because they have been trained to hear his voice over years of faithfulness. That's what I see in Simeon and Anna. We need them to step in as spiritual mothers and fathers to pronounce a blessing and to provide us counsel as we move through life. So I extend this invitation to all of you with gray hair or all of you hiding your gray hair. <laughs> we need you. We need your life experience. We need your wisdom. We need your years of consistently living for Christ. There is still great work for you to do. And if you think your best years are behind you, I would just remind you of Anna. Anna was a virgin. She was married. She lived with her husband for seven years, and then she lost him. Everything about her life changed, and she could have mailed it in. She could have packed it in. She could have said, God is done with me. I don't know if you know the story of Ruth and Naomi. That's how Naomi felt. But no, Anna pressed in. She said, I have nothing but the Lord and his promise. I will turn to that. And the Lord brought her a life of great joy and meaning and purpose, even though it seemed to come at the very end. So she did not lose sight of this truth that the scripture tells us, Psalm 33, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Or 2 Chronicles 16, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. She believed these scriptures and she believed in his hope, in his promise. So I invite you to come and to make your latter years count. Now, <clears throat> I understand not every person over the age of 50 has been walking with the Lord for a long time, but let me tell you, there's no time like the present. It's never too late to give to the Lord what you have and to see him do a great work in you. Now, if on the other hand, you're, you have more years ahead of you than you have behind you, if you're young, I encourage you to seek out and honor the Simeons and the Annans among us. You know, I am so thankful for those who have been spiritual forerunners in this church, those who planted this church and cultivated this church and built this church. I don't have time to list them all, but I see some of them here. 
Lanferman, I see you, especially you, Linda. McCutcheons, Lawsons. There are many who have given their time and their efforts so that this experience that you're having right now could be possible. They deserve our honor. Let's go to them and honor them. Let's ask them for their advice and listen. Let's pray for them. But here's the deal. They will continue to run hard because they, like Simeon and Anna, have run hard. They've set their hope on this consolation of Israel. Let us also run with them. Let us receive the baton from them. Let us be trained so that we are ready when they, like Simeon and Anna, and their time has come for them to depart in peace, that we can carry on the work. This doesn't happen through flipping a switch. You can't wake up one day and decide, okay, yeah, now's the time for me to get everything together, and boom, I'll be just like Simeon and Anna. No, Simeon and Anna, I believe, came to this place through years of concerted effort. So if you say, oh, I'll, I'll invest in me, and I'll build my little kingdom now, and then one day later I'll change my mind, most people, that doesn't happen. They get derailed in the process, and they miss their opportunity. So I encourage you today, decide whom you will serve. Now, may it never be said of us that we failed to honor the Lord with our lives. Because when we do, we can be filled with purpose and joy, just like Anna. Ultimately, Simeon and Anna, they built their lives on the hope of God's coming redemption. They lived their lives with such great gospel anticipation that they experienced Advent as a life-altering idea. Have you experienced Advent? Have you experienced Christmas as life-altering? Are you able to cut through the glitz and the glam, the hustle and the bustle, the commercialization and the busyness and see God's salvation, God's redemption, God's consolation? Maybe you won't see the Savior with your eyes, but do you see him with your heart? You know, Peter, writing to believers in the first century, he wrote this. He said, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. During Advent, we take time to reconsider the Christmas story every year. The good news of Christmas is not simply that God loves us today, but that he loved us in the past, decisively and definitively, before we looked to him, before we desired him, before we honored him, he died for us while we were yet sinners, <laughs> even before we were sinners. God acted on our behalf. He was incarnated into our broken world so he could save us. And he has put into motion the final stage of his redemptive plan through Jesus through his death and his life and his resurrection. You know, interestingly, we began the sermon with two spiritual themes that, that are seemingly divergent. The first theme was this prophesied king who would come and elevate the people, delivering them from their oppressors. But then on the other hand, the price of redemption, the life of a firstborn son. At Advent, these two themes collide. Many stumbled over this, 
in Jesus' day. You remember Simeon's prophecy. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many. Many fell because they only wanted a king to deliver them. They weren't prepared for God's plan. Ah, but even Simeon and Anna, they, they knew that God's redemption had come, even if they did not understand how God's redemption was coming. But we, we are blessed. We have the benefit of hindsight. We have not only seen this baby born in a manger or these angelic messengers in the sky or prophetic declarations from men filled with the Spirit. No, we have seen the powerful preacher teaching the multitudes. We have seen the suffering servant hanging on the cross. We have seen the lamb that was slain, laid in the tomb, and we have seen the risen Lord ascending into heaven. Many failed to realize that this first advent was to fulfill the Exodus redemption pictured in this child dedication and sacrifice. That the life of God's firstborn son is the price for redemption for you and for me. To redeem the nation, the consolation of spiritual Israel. Ah, but God has given us more to look forward to. We don't just look back to the first advent. We look forward to the second advent when he will come as the king conquering. When he will slay his enemies with a sword that comes out of his mouth. We will meet him in the sky and he will wipe every tear from every eye and we will be with him. That is the joy and hope of Advent. He will come in bodily form to save his people once more. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And so we too, like Simeon and Anna, we set our hope on the consolation of Israel, on the glory that will be revealed when he returns. But the question we must ask is, will we be ready? Will we have prepared ourselves through constant and regular devotion to see him when he comes. This time he won't be hidden. He will be obvious. But if we wait until he's obvious, it will be too late. Let's pray. Father God, we know that we need to be trained daily for our hearts to be prepared to see and to savor the glory of your King, Jesus. Like Simeon and Anna, Lord, we desire to live lives of quiet faithfulness that would prepare us so that when you are on the move, we would say yes. We believe that there is more work to do. And we are so overjoyed that you would invite us into it, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Come, thou long-expected Jesus.